Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Hey, um, so part of our missions month in July, um, we've got uh, Simon Warwick is our guest speaker today. Uh, Simon has become a great mate over the last uh, few years. We connected a few years ago when he was a senior minister uh, in Swan Hill. Uh, and since then, we've had some great conversations about life and families and uh, not so much football, even though we're both Collingwood supporters, because that kind of becomes secondary or even a long way away from that. But uh, Simon's become a, a great encouragement and really passionate about the local church, but also passionate about the impact of the local church making disciples throughout the world. He's the CEO of Empart uh, in Australia, uh, and he'll share more about that. But I'm gonna, I've introduced him now because we're about to watch uh, a video in the next few seconds, and I'm just talking to the people watching on the stream or if you're watching the video later. This is that we're actually pausing the live stream when this video starts because of security reasons. Uh, so this, uh, just so you're aware of, we're not going offline, we're not canceling you out or anything like that. It's just for security reasons. Uh, this video won't be going out on our live stream or recorded on the YouTube later. And then Simon's going to share a couple of stories specific uh, and they'll stay off the live stream as well. It's not that we don't love you people at home, it's just we need to be sensitive to a wider audience today. So I uh, hope that makes sense and we're going to have the video. Thanks very much, Thomas. You know, um, hello for those who, have, who are live. It's good to be with you today. I got to share a few stories and no doubt people who are in the room will be able to share them with you later. You know, I have the privilege of... Um, of ministering in a number of different places now. And over the years, I've had the privilege of visiting many different countries. I've, I've ministered in China, in the USA, Myanmar, Thailand, amongst other places. And I had this particular defining moment that I experienced. I went to a, to a place and, and, um, and met this lady, I'm gonna call her Sarah. That's not her real name, probably because I couldn't pronounce her real name. So I'm gonna call her Sarah. Sarah is this, this little woman, this unassuming woman. When you meet her at a conference, she's off over the side just talking to some other women and, and kind of like doing life with them. She's, she's like this big. Like, I mean, I'm 6'3", so when I go to, to um, Asian countries, I tend to find myself feeling quite a lot taller than everyone else. It's easier when you're leading a team because you can see everyone. But, um, but, but she's, she's like this big, this unassuming woman. Now, when you get to hear a story, and it's one of the things I love to do, I love to say to, to the workers on the field, tell me your story. What's your situation? What's your history? When I heard Sarah's story through a translator, I was just blown away. You see, this little woman, she's probably a similar age to me, maybe a bit younger. Um, her first husband, um, she got married fairly quickly and, and, um, and it just didn't work out. Family didn't like her, husband didn't like her, pretty much kicked her out on the streets. She had to go back and live with her family. Second husband comes around and, and they get married and they have a couple of young kids and through poverty couldn't afford to continue to stay where they were. So he went off to another town to start raising money to support his family. While he was there, he contracted HIV AIDS. When he came home um, and then eventually passed away, the expectation was that this family was now cursed. This family, although she hadn't contracted HIV AIDS, 
She was considered to be tarnished. She was considered to be cursed. His family no longer wanted her around out of fear that she might try and take their inheritance. So they kicked her and the kids out in the street. This woman, poor, broken, destitute, was somehow met one of our workers and, and, and came to faith. And, and then this worker saw a, a, a leadership gift on her life and said, you need to go and get trained. Why don't you go and get trained so you can do what I do? So she did. Massive sacrifice. As a family, these, the, her teenage kids had to live with her parents, I believe, for the year while she got trained. But they did it because they knew it was the call of God on her life. From that moment to this, she now leads four, five, six different communities of people around her area. If you look at the numbers of people in her communities, we would describe them in the West as a megachurch. And she just quietly goes about her business, helping people connect with Jesus. I look at this and I look at multiple stories that we hear from around the globe and you, I ask the question, why God? Why? You know, I grew up in a, in, in a church of Christ in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne, a place that was formerly known as Mount Evelyn Christian Fellowship. I joined there when I was in 1983. I was little then. Um, that was last century for those younger people in the room. Um, there are people alive from last century. I'm one of them. Um, joined in 1983. And in the time that I, was, I joined this church, we saw it go crazy. It had already gone from a few dozen people meeting in this little chapel in Mount Evelyn to a few hundred people that had to meet at a high school hall and in, in very quick amount of time over maybe a decade or so, it went from a few hundred to a few thousand people. God was doing something amazing in this place. People were coming to faith. The community was being reached. People were being touched. It was just absolutely stunning. There was this sense of excitement and hope and joy about what God was doing. You know, we'd come together on a Sunday service and it was like this big family celebration coming together. And it was the 80s and there was a charismatic movement. So there may have been some tambourines along the front. For those of you who, who have seen that or heard of that, there was people with tambourines and, and the big conga lines. It was weird, man. It was weird. But the joy of the Lord was so present. Can I confess something to you? I may have owned a tambourine. I know, I know. You've gone Collingwood supporter, makes sense. <laughs> you started this, Simon. But the, the joy of the Lord was so present. There was something electric and magnetic about this group of people. God was doing something significant. And that church grew. And it was just such an exciting time. I'm not advocating to bring back conga lines. Or tambourines, thank you. Let's be super clear. But that was the season, and that's what, how people responded to what God was doing. It was amazing. Why was it that our church was growing so significantly? You know, if I looked at the churches in our area, there was multiple. And you know what? We believed in the same God. We absolutely believed in who Jesus is, what he said and what he did. We believed in the Holy Spirit. We read the same Bible. Gee, we even sang some of the same songs. Yet why is it that our church was flourishing and others weren't? Why is it that the church in the East is going nuts? We shared some figures with you before, but the church in the West isn't so much. 
You know, National Church Life Survey and McCrindle did some research lately. In fact, even the, the most recent census figures suggest the church in the West is in decline. You know, the, the two surveys that I'm referring to, they did a couple of, um, uh, uh, they looked at a couple of things. They suggested, number one, that the church in the, in the West is in decline. They said that for every hundred believers, only one person would get baptised in a year. Now, baptism is the most significant step of, of a journey of faith that we have. I'm so excited to hear you've got baptisms in a few weeks' time. You're bucking the trend. Well done. But on average, for every hundred believers, there's only one person making that faith declaration in that community. That's concerning. And when they dig deeper in some of those figures, often that person was the child of a family from the church. So they're already living in a discipling relationship with their family. They've just made their own declaration. It's concerning. The church in Australia has been in decline for 70 years, seven decades. Yet the church globally is definitely not. I was chatting to a leader of a denomination not that long ago, and I said, how's it going? One of my favourite questions to ask. How's it going? And he said, well, Simon, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. He said, in our movement of around 130 churches, about 30% of our churches are what we describe as healthy. We're healthy. Those 30% of churches are growing, they're flourishing, they're doing great things for their community. They're, they're kind of healthy. He said, Simon, about 40% of our churches could go either way. You know, there's hope, there's potential. But if, that, if there's not some intentional focus brought to that community, they could very quickly decline. And he said, 30% of our churches are dying. And to be honest with you, my words, some of them need to die. Because they're so focused on things that aren't of what God wants them to do anymore. And we'll talk a little bit more about that soon. Why is it that some churches are flourishing and some churches aren't? Why is it that churches in other parts of the world are going crazy right now and for whatever reason the churches in Australia generally aren't? I think it's down to the word focus and that's on the screen. Not so much, well, it's not just focus, it's actually about the direction of our focus. You know, if I think about the framework of what God's doing, God's always focused, right? He's always intentional, he's always got a plan, he's always got a purpose. God was really clear with his desire and his description on what, what we're called to do and be. If we look at the Old Testament, you can see, if you read the whole narrative of the Old Testament, you can see God is pointing his people to a particular point of time. You read the Psalms and you read the, um, the, um, the history books and it's all about the Messiah is coming. It's really tough right now, but the Messiah is coming. It's really horrible and difficult right now, but the Messiah is coming. I'm going to make a way to connect you back with me. Just give me some time. It's going to happen. The whole Old Testament is focused on this one particular point in time where Jesus came, where he lived the perfect life. He died as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He came back to life again. He was resurrected. He had a bit of time with his crew and then he went to be with, be, uh, go to heaven to be with the Lord, sitting at his right hand, interceding for you and me. The whole Old Testament points to that point in time. The whole New Testament is focused on Christ and his mission. 
So the Old Testament says there's a shift coming. Jesus is coming. The whole New Testament is about, okay, what do we do about that? How do we live into that? God's always been focused. It's pretty clear. If you take a step back and you, look, you take away from verse, chapter and verse and you go to the whole narrative of the Bible, that's what it's about. God is on mission. And his intent is to draw humanity back to himself. But I think as churches, we can find ourselves maybe getting a bit confused on our focus. And I want to talk a little bit around that today. There's, there's a few different directions of our focus that we consider. And... Um, I'm going to get used to using the button myself. The first focus I want to consider is the focus up only. If we as a church community focus up only, what does that look like? How does it work? What is the outcome? Now, when I'm saying up only, it's where we as Christians, we say, you know what? It's just all about Jesus. Me being a follower of Christ, it's got nothing to do with anyone else. It's all, it's me and Jesus, up only. Now, my response to that would be yes, and there's more. We have to focus on Jesus. But if that's our only focus, we become ineffective. You know, they're the people who say, I don't really need church. I don't need to be part of a community of believers because it's all just about me and Jesus. It's about my personal relationship with Jesus. That's all that really matters. Well, I think Jesus might have a different opinion. And we see that in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus is pretty clear with his disciples. In fact, it's the last thing we hear of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew before he goes to heaven. I think it's very intentional that it is the last thing we hear because it's important. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Luke records the same scenario, situation, a little bit differently in the book of Acts. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' focus is quite different to just us and him. Focus up only doesn't serve the kingdom. The next focus I want to consider is this one, where if a church community focuses in only, it's all about me. I've seen this happen time and time again. You know those 30% of churches that are dying? Often it starts here, in this point, because it's all about us. Church becomes all about me, my needs, my wants. You know, I heard of a church recently, um, in our movement, by the way, I'm still a Church of Christ pastor. And this church is a beautiful place, beautiful building in an affluent area. No doubt at times when it was built, this, this building was built to the glory of God to see God's name made famous in their community. Fast forward a few generations and it's a building that's falling down. It needs a huge amount of investment just to repair it. And it was managed by about 12 people that would have known where Aunt Betty's pew came from. And they would have been confident that the, that the baptismal had to stay where it was because that was put in there and that's the only way to do church. These churches, unfortunately, become a bit of a social club. It becomes more about the desires and the needs of the people in the community than why the whole community was positioned there in the first place. 
And the trajectory for a church like that, a church that's focused in only, is that they will die. And if I can be brutally honest, they'll take people with them. You know, because these churches are the ones where if someone happens to come into the door of the, ch- into the, door of the church and, and they, they, they don't get greeted well, they don't get cared for. These people are so far more interested in their rights and their desires being met than the desires of Jesus. The next focus is out only. Where, where there's, there's a heart of people who want to do something for the community and that becomes a desire and the primary focus of who they are. You know, there's a lot of not-for-profits in our country that started as Christian organisations. They started because people go, you know what? There is homeless people. There is sick people. There are mums that need help. There are orphans. There are widows. We need to do something about this. And then as followers of Jesus, they got so focused on doing the good deeds. They forgot about the purpose of why they were doing the good deeds. You know, we can do some great things for people in our community. We can love them, we can care for them, but so can Lions Club. Lions Club is excellent, don't get me wrong. When I was little, I had a little t-shirt that was, I'm a little lion, my dad got it for me. They do great things. But if we do some amazing things for the community, yet we don't set up the opportunity for them to say, why are you doing this? We can see a whole lot of people having a better life and still going to hell. When the church focuses out only, we miss the opportunity to introduce people to the person as to the why we're doing the things that we're doing. The next focus is this one. And I'll be honest, I think this is the most dangerous. Our focus is up and in. Yes, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. But I come to church so my needs can be met. From time to time, I go and speak to different church leaders and I find out how I can help. This one particular church recently are looking for a new senior pastor. I said, well, let's talk about that. What are you looking for? Let me see your documentation. Let me see your your, um, uh, constitution. Let me see your your search desire, like all that sort of stuff. I said, let's look at it. And when you peel it all back, yes, they, they want someone to kind of do the outward stuff. But effectively, what they were looking for is super pastor who can do all fivefold gifts, which no one's created to do, but this is what they wanted, who would make sure that they felt warm and fuzzy, who would take care of them and do their funeral. Oh, and by the way, after they've done all of that, then we want you to be evangelistic and we want you to go out into the world. I challenged them on that. I don't know if they liked it, but that's not my responsibility. They asked the question, I gave them an answer. A church that's focused up and in is so dangerous. Because you see, what happens when we focus that way is it becomes all about me and my desires and my wants. You know, I remember being on staff at my first church and we had a larger auditorium and a bit like this where you got the seats up the top and we would actually cover the ones right at the back in blacks. The whole intent was to kind of just create a bit bit more of a comfortable atmosphere where people were together, it wasn't so spread out, you know, you're in community, all that sort of stuff. We made the mistake of covering someone's seats up in blacks. Oh, that didn't go down well. I still remember the moment looking up and seeing the blacks ripped off their seats and them sitting there. These are my seats. Can't tell me how to worship. Okay. (laughs) I remember a couple coming and speaking to us because they were so offended at the fact that um, they were going to leave the church. They were so offended at this fact that we we had the audacity 
to sing the Chris Tomlin version of Amazing Grace. Like, how could you do that? How could you destroy such a beautiful song by, by allowing this Chris Tomlin version to be sung in our church? It sounds odd, doesn't it? But when we get so focused up, yes, it's about God. We, we worship, we sing, we tithe, we do all the things. I read the Bible, I do all the bits that I'm supposed to do to tick the box. And in, it becomes about me. And you know why it's dangerous? Because it's so easy for that to be any one of us. It's so easy to become any one of us. You know, we, I was at the, on staff at what's now Discovery Church. I then went and led the Swan Hill Church of Christ, Grangehead Church of Christ. We're back at Discovery now. We, we attend there. It's fun when I'm not here or anywhere else like this. And I had moments going, oh, I don't really like this song. And I had to check myself. Like, I had to check myself because it was not about me. <laughs> It's about the community that we were being reached. But I remember going, I don't really like this song. It's a bit hot. It's a bit cold. A bit noisy. The sad thing is when we're a church that's focused up and in is we become all about insiders. We become a bit of a holy huddle. We become entitled. And a church like that will not grow. Why would the Lord give his babies to people that aren't going to disciple them in the way that they want, that he wants. I wouldn't, and I'm not God. Far from it. Ask my wife, ask my kids. <laughs> when we're a church that's focused up and in, it's dangerous. Because when outsiders come in, people who don't yet know Jesus, they get treated weirdly. You know, before COVID, they might have got hugged with a holy hug. They, they get to the point of the service where they say, could we get all the visitors to stand up, please? And the extroverts are like, woo! And the introverts are like, oh man, they're making me do this. And then you get corralled out to this special little room out in the back corner with some people and they give you a cup of international dust to welcome you to the church. <laughs> and when they were in the service, they had this moment where they were asked to sing these songs and they had like, couldn't work out, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. And then they're singing songs about blood and death and lambs being slain and all this crazy kind of stuff. And like when we're so focused up and in, we forget about who we're trying to reach. We forget about the purpose of why we're here as a community to see the lost saved at all costs. Jesus died. God himself changed who he was from all eternity to take on humanity. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? He was there, eternal. A moment in time, the, word, the Christian word is incarnation. It means to be clothed in humanity. He changed who he was because he loves you so much. It would not have been easy for him to live a perfect life. The Bible's pretty clear. He was tempted the Bible's clear he felt everything that we as humans feel. It had to be that way so he could sacrifice himself for us. And he's changed for eternity. He's no longer just spirit. He's the spirit man. Have you ever stopped to think about how significant that was? Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that he did that for an intentional purpose and it's not about you only? Yes, it's about you. Praise God. If you're a Christian here today, thank you, Jesus. But if our focus is up and in, I think we've minimised what he did to being all about me. 
we become self-indulgent, and we become entitled. And that is the way, somewhat, we've been taught as Christians to be. And I'm part of that. I'm responsible for that. Because we've taught you to turn up at church and outsource your responsibilities to the professionals. And that's never how Jesus meant it to be. The movement of God is about every person who knows and loves Jesus having a part to play. And not just a part that says, I'll do this role at church, but a part in your community. To be present with people who don't know him. To love him so much that people who don't know him say, what is different about you for the right reasons? You know, I think the focus that God would really want us to consider is a focus that's up and out. God, his mission. God, his mission. If we're so focused on God, we should be so focused on what he wants us to do, who he wants us to be. God and his mission. Once again, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what that's your calling. That's your responsibility. That's your opportunity. You know the difficult thing? Is we've been taught something different. We've been taught that the professionals are the ones to do all the work and we turn up and support that with our attendance or our finance or our singing. I'm here to tell you that's not the intention. You know, if I think about how complex we've made Christianity just through education, you know, there's two primary things that we're called to do. Love God, love others, but how do we do that? We be witnesses. You know, in, in, in our church communities, we've created this idea of what a witness is. It's, it's this idea that we've got to know the magical steps in the Bible that we take someone through to the point where they can, we can lead them to, to faith in Jesus. We can argue them to the point where they can't deny that we're right and they're wrong. And then we get them across the line. This magical line that we've created in, in, in you know, something that, that we've said that has to happen. Do you know what being a witness is? It's simply this. To see or experience something... And tell someone. It's not seven steps to evangelism. It's not 27 steps to walking across the room. Or they may be helpful tools. It is simply seeing or experiencing something and telling someone else about it. What's God done in your life? What's he doing now? What are you wondering about? What are you pondering? What's happening in your spirit right now? You know... Like these people I shared the stories of earlier. God did miraculous things in them. How could you not tell someone? Hey, Simon, you used to be like that, but now you're like that. Why? Good question. Let me tell you. These stories are happening in this community. Simon and I were talking about some earlier today. They're happening. Be witnesses. It's not that difficult. The other thing is this, to make disciples. Again, it's a pretty clear mandate. Jesus was pretty blunt. Not if you decide you might want to or if you've got enough education or you read the 27 books on disciple making. He says, go and make disciples. Teach them to obey and baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
What is making a disciple? Well, we've outsourced it to the professionals, as I said before. We think making a disciple is this. You pray about a friend really deeply and then you wait until you get the right preacher at church who you think will preach the right message and you invite them. And if they come, you come and you kind of like, you come in the door, I can see it happening now. You're walking in the back door and you're like, okay, oh, it's Simon preaching, all right, we'll trust you, God. That's fine, no worries. I'm talking about this Simon, by the way, not me. Um, it's, it's hard to rag out one of your friends when you've got the same name. Um, <laughs> but I can see it. You, you walk in the back door and you're like, all right, Jesus, this person's finally accepted coming to church. Lord, please let Simon preach a cracker message. Please let Simon preach a cracker message because really, this person needs you, Jesus. You don't understand. This person really needs you. So if Simon can preach the right message and then when the altar call time comes, oh Lord, you know, I pray that they listen to that and your Holy Spirit responds to them and does something in their hearts. And, and, then, and then when the time comes, some churches will bring people forward and, and you kind of look it out the side of your eye. Oh, they sort of raise their hand. Do you want to go out the front? Yeah, no worries. And then, and then what you do is you really hope and pray that the right discipleship journey is set up for the church that the church happens to have alpha running or the right life group or whatever it might be. So you can then go, okay, here's my friend. Bring them to Jesus, disciple them. I've done my bit. That's how we've been taught. Discipleship is simply this. Hey, I love Jesus. I'm doing a journey of life with him and I'm not going to get it all right. Don't know everything. You're a couple of steps behind me. Let's do this together. How about you see how I do life and how about you critique me when I do something wrong. You know, one of the most enjoyable things I heard about the way our workers are trained was this. Our teachers, in the context, this is very foreign, by the way. They'll say to the students, okay, so we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit right now. What gifts do you see in me? Now, for a student to be challenging, a teacher to be encouraging a student to critique them, it's, it's a pretty foreign thing. In, 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 in Asian countries, it's even more complex. But what do you see in me? What spirits do you, spiritual gifts do you see in me? And they have the conversation and all that sort of stuff. Then they say this, what do I lack? What spiritual gifts do I lack? What if we had conversations with people like that? You know, you open the Bible, here's the spiritual gifts. What do you see in me? And, and take it, whatever they see. Tell me more about that. What do you see that I lack in this? What can I do about that? Let's, let's pray together. Let's ask Jesus who we want to be. Every one of you can do that. I know of people who aren't yet Christians discipling people. Why? Because they can. It's not complex. It might be difficult, but it's not complex. And each and every one of us is called and empowered and released to do that. Be witnesses and make disciples. You know, when I look at the church that I grew up in and I ask the question, why did we, why were we so fruitful? Why was God doing his thing? I think it's because we we're focused in the right areas. I think we're focused absolutely on God. I played a tambourine because I was so passionate about Jesus. Like, and I, I can still do some of those moves, right? On your hip. You've seen it. You've seen the videos, not of me, but you've seen it. Passionate about Jesus, but passionate about the lost. You know, our church at this time, we tithe 20% of our giving to missions. Why? Because there was, that's where the fruit was. I still remember hearing a story. Um, pastor Alan Meyer was a pastor at the time. We had, um, we'd bought our land. We'd done it um, uh, debt-free. We built our building. We'd done it debt-free. And there was another 11 acres of land next to us, the lemon farm. 
And this prize lemon farm was going to be the future of the church. It was going to be what we're going to get to set up the church. So for, for however long they took to sort of prime the congregation and to ask the church to pray into buying this lemon farm, the time came that they're going to take up the offering for it. The week before, we had a guy called Jeff Hammond who came from Indonesia. Um, you would have seen Abba Love Church. This is where Jeff Hammond is. He came from Indonesia and he talked about the plights of the persecuted Christians there who were being killed in that moment. He talked about the vision of buying a block of land, Al Mai describes as a buying a mountain for the people who were persecuted so they could have a place to go that was safe, that they could live. And the time came, the Saturday before the Sunday, that they were going to take up the offering. And he just really was convicted. We don't need to buy the block of land next door. We need to buy a block of land in Indonesia. So he rang the elders and there was a real confirmation around that. So he got up on the platform and he said, you've come today prepared to take up an offering to buy the block of land next door for our future. Myself and the elders absolutely believe that that can come one day, but right now we want to redirect this offering to, to help our brothers and sisters in Indonesia. If you choose not to give to that, that's completely fine. But that's what the purpose of this offering is going to be. You know, our church took up the biggest offering that they ever had. In the 90s, it was like a quarter of a million bucks or something. They bought the block of land in Indonesia. And the fruit of that, that is still being played out in um, Abba Love's church. And in, in time to come, we bought the lemon farm. And it's still sitting there to be decided on how we're going to use it for future generations. We were focused on God and his mission. And we were so willing to lay down everything for the purpose of that. I think that's why God was smiling on what we were doing. Because it was about him and his mission. You know, if I think about this church, and, and, and I'm, um, I'll kind of wind it up with this. What does it mean for you today? Because I've talked about other places and other people. What does it mean for you today? My encouragement is this. We've all walked through the last couple of years, right? COVID. Walk in the park. It's been easy, right? Yeah. Things have changed. You know, I remember 20 years ago what God was doing then. It could be very easy to say, let's just do that because that worked. I can remember 10 years ago when I was on staff and we saw some things working and some things weren't and, and pushing back against the people who were going, let's just do the, the old things, you know, the whole Amazing Grace song bit. Let's just do the original version of Amazing Grace and that will work. There was a mindset that that could happen and, and having to push against that. But what used to work won't work in the future. I think that's sped up. I think what worked two years ago won't work in the future. The world has changed people. It has. What does it mean to live a life with open hands before the Lord and say, God, if we're going to focus on you and we're going to focus out, what does that look like? What is my personal response to that? Who is in my world? Who are my neighbours? Things aren't going to be the same and they won't work if we tried to make them the same. Sorry, it doesn't work like that. God's moving into the future, not back to the past. And the encouragement is, would you go with him? Would you walk with him? And that's going to be hard, especially for those who've been around for a few years. Because remember the wonderful times that were and what happened in that time. And remember them and celebrate them and seek God for what's new. What are you doing into the future? What is it that you want from me? How do you want me to respond to that? Let's try some new things. 
Let's do something different and see what happens. Guess what? It might not work and that's okay. But let's have open hearts to try something different because God, his, his focus hasn't changed. He wants to see humanity restored back to himself and he uses us. So my encouragement is this. What does it look like to have a soft heart? Remember the past and appreciate the past, but have a soft heart for opportunities in the future. That's, a, that's only something that you yourself can manage and you yourself can decide. But that would be my encouragement for you. Can I pray for you, please? Lord, I look across this room and I see multiple generations, which is so encouraging. I see those who have no doubt been part of this community for a very long time. And I see those who might have been here for a very short amount of time. And that's cool. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for a real sense of unity around your calling and your desire to see people restored back to yourself. Lord, that the biggest desire of every individual's heart in this church would be firstly in their own desire to know you and be known by you. Father, I pray that, that they are bothered by the fact that they can learn more about you. I pray that they are bothered by the fact that they, that they don't know more. I pray that as they open the word, as they spend time with you, would you reveal yourself to, way, to them in ways that they've never experienced before, bringing joy and hope and fulfilment in their lives. Lord, I pray as a broader community, may they be so in love with the people that don't know you. They'll invest everything into that. They'll lay down their own preferences and desires. So Lord, that those that don't know you might be able to be brought into this community and loved and restored and brought into a knowing relationship with you. Just like some of the stories we hear from the field, Lord, where people are broken and lost and destitute, but someone just loves them into a relationship with you. And then they wanna go and help someone else do the same. May Horsham Church of Christ continue to build off the legacy that was to see an even brighter future into the future. Bless them, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.